Okay, we're going to be finishing up chapter 7 this week. Uh, we've been in it for a couple of weeks, and I don't really make apologies for that because it is a pretty important chapter. Talking about appropriation. Uh, you know, we, again, uh, hear, or we're told in Scripture that we are complete in Christ. We are told in Scripture that we have everything necessary for life and godliness. We're told in Scripture that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. You know, everything we need for time and eternity is found in the new life that we share with Christ. Now, it's found in this new man, in this new nature that we in, uh, we gained at the moment of our salvation. Our old Adamic life is still as bankrupt as it ever was. It never will be any different. But we do have all this in Christ. And again, we uh, oftentimes uh, struggle with perhaps believing that because we're... Um, we're uh, choosing at times to walk by sight rather than by faith. We look at our life and we we see that we have struggles. You know, we're t- uh, you know told in Scripture we have victory in Christ, but in our day to day life we often don't feel very victorious, and we don't look very look, uh, uh, victorious. We're told that we have died to sin. And that sin is no longer our master, but in day-to-day life, a lot of times it doesn't look that way. But we're called not to walk by sight, but to walk by faith. To take God at His word. To believe Him. And this chapter has a lot to do with that. The chapter on appropriation. Now, I did a fairly lengthy review last week. I'm not going to do that again this week. But I am going to look at just a few little statements from the chapter that will hopefully refresh our memories and bring us up to where we are this morning. And... You know, first was very early in the chapter, he made the statement, appropriation does not necessarily mean to gain something new, but to set aside for our practical possession something that already belongs to us. So when it comes to the Christian life, when it comes to us growing in our uh, our Christian development, it's never going to be about us gaining something we don't already have. It's going to be about us learning to uh, learning what we have and learning how to take hold of it, to appropriate it. Now, we saw that for appropriation to take place, there are two essentials. <coughs> First, and this is important, to see what is already ours in Christ. You cannot appropriate what you don't know you have. You've got to see what's yours in Christ. 
And that's going to uh, require spending time in the Word. And as I said the other week, it's going to require spending time in the New Testament epistles. The letters written to the church. You know, the Old Testament has its place. And it teaches us a lot about God. And it teaches us a lot about man. But the Old Testament doesn't tell us a lot of what we have in Christ because the Old Testament saint didn't have those things. Now in the Old Testament, there were a lot of pictures of things that would become realities in Christ. But to learn of the reality, you're going to learn that in the epistles. Starting in Romans and going all the way through through Jude. Paul's epistles in particular spell these things out, but so do the writings of of Peter and even in James. But, you know, it's the epistles that are going to show us what is ours in Christ. So the first essential of appropriation we learned was to see what is already ours in Christ. The second is to be aware of our need of it. We are not going to appropriate what we don't realize we need. And so, you know, we're gonna, we saw that once we see what is ours in Christ Jesus based on the scriptures, practical need is going to cause us to appropriate it. You know, as God takes us through various things in life, we're gonna see what we need. And we will take hold of it. And that's why we saw life is meant to bring a succession of of discoveries of our need of Christ. And with every such discovery, the way is open for a new inflow of the supply. So, as you journey through the Christian life, there's going to be you know, time after time after time where you come to realize something that you need that you did not realize before that you needed it. You're going to find another area of your life that you need Christ's provisions in. And as you discover each of those needs... There's going to be an inflow of God's provision. You're going to begin to see what's there for you and learn to appropriate it. Now, we saw, you know, so far so good. You know, we, we see what's ours in Christ. And, you know, uh, our, uh, the need enables us to reach out and confidently appropriate it and accept, uh, uh, you know, the required uh, provision. But now comes the critical phase, he pointed out. The key to it all. And this is something we often don't grasp. In most instances of appropriation, there's a waiting period between acceptance and receiving, often of years. As I pointed out last week, we want to view God Basically like the fairy godmother in, in fairy tales who waves his wand and, and suddenly it just happens. 
You know, we want to come to this place and we see this truth in Scripture and I say, okay, Lord, I want to appropriate that. And we kind of expect God to just magically make it happen. And it doesn't work that way. Oh, there there are instances. It says in most instances, there's a waiting period. Not in everyone. There are times where where God uh, might just immediately enable this uh, thing that we're appropriating to become a reality. But in most instances, that's not going to be the case. There's going to be a time factor. Again, going back to chapter 2, time. And we saw last week, every bit of truth we receive, if we receive it lovingly from God, will take us into conflict and will be established through conflict. The reason being that it will be worthless until there has been a battle over it. You and I know that most things in life that are just handed to us easily, we don't really appreciate. You know, if, if somebody just gives it to us and there's, there's not, uh, you know, we just think, well, there's not much to it. But the things that have come, you know, with a struggle... When it finally arrives, we, we value it. We appreciate it. And God's working from eternity and for eternity. And God wants us to develop in every area that we can in Christ. But He wants us to value it. To see how important it is. See, he says, you have not come into the real significance of it until there has been a sore conflict in relation to it. And I think that's about where we got up to last week. You know, this issue of the conflict. And so we want to pick up there. And uh, finish the chapter out. Now, uh, my book has different page numbers. What page number are you on? 40 what? 41. Okay. Uh, It's the paragraph after the one that starts with T. Austin Sparks. It uh, says, As the result of the work of his cross... And as the grand issue of his resurrection, eternal life is received already by those who believe. But while that life itself, that life is itself victorious, incorruptible, indestructible, the believer has to come by faith to prove it, to live by it, to learn its laws, to be conformed to it. So he's saying what? That this life, this new life that we 
gained at the moment of salvation, this life that is sourced in Christ, a life that only functions in relationship to Him, that that life is itself victorious. We share the victorious life of Christ right now. It's ours. That life, he says, is incorruptible. This new life, which we, which is sourced in Christ, is incorruptible. In fact, in another chapter, you know, and, and we may have already covered this one, I don't remember, but, uh, you know, he makes the statement, the only thing in life that can be damaged is what's got to go away anyhow. Nothing about our new life in Christ can be harmed. It's incorruptible. Can't be damaged. What can be damaged is the old man and everything tied with him. And all that's got to go away anyhow. So it's incorruptible. Indestructible. This life cannot be destroyed. It shares God's eternal life. See, we often think of eternal life from the standpoint simply of being everlasting. But it's more than that. Eternal life is the very life of God. The life that He has always possessed. The life that had no beginning. The life that has no end. That life has been given to us. And it's indestructible. So here we have this new life that's victorious, incorruptible, indestructible. But He says... You know, basically in our daily experience, we have to prove it. Our life has got to develop to the point that it demonstrates the victorious nature. That it demonstrates the incorruptible nature. That it demonstrates the indestructible nature. You know, in our daily life, we've got to learn to live by this new life. He says, learn its laws. And when he's talking about its laws, he's talking about the principles under which it operates. Like in the physical realm, we have the law of gravity and the law of inertia and, and these different uh, rules that basically uh, guide the physical universe there are principles in the spiritual realm we need to learn the principles that guide this life and we need to in daily experience be conformed to it to it he says there is a deposit in the believer which which in itself needs no addition so far as its quality is concerned. A life has been deposited in you that needs nothing added to it. 
When it comes to its quality, it is perfect. It's been given to you in that perfect form. Rick, can I just share something? Yeah. You know the beauty of this too is say, for instance, and this happened to me and I won't go into it, but as a child or through your life, you've been extremely wounded by something. And it, it just eating away at you, it's your identity, it's your struggle, it's your sorrow, it's your controlling everything. And you come in, and this is what happened to me, and you come in and learn this, that I am a new creation in Christ and learn what this means and grow in it. It is the most free thing that, is, that ever happened to me in my life. Hmm. And it gave me an identity. And I could forgive people that had harmed me. I could, I could say that, that that's no longer who I am. Yeah. It doesn't have to define me anymore. Oh. Did you get that? Yeah. I mean, that's like the most beautiful thing in this world that we can be lifted up out of something that is so devastating because it no longer is who we are. Yeah, the wounds you carry are in the old man. The wounds you carry are in your old man. And, you know, psychology and psychiatry, by and large, are focused on the old man. They can define how the old man, you know, who was harmed and, and came to this point. And they try to do all they can to fix the old man. They know nothing about the new man. And unfortunately, that's true even of so, many so-called Christian counselors. Many so-called Christian counselors are Christians that still use the world's method of counseling, which is focused on the old man. It can tell you, you know, how this harmed you and that harmed you and that. None of that harmed who you are in Christ. There's a big difference between counseling that's done by a Christian and Christian counseling. Jerry's shaking his head because he knows there's a difference. Rick, I like to ask couples when I talk to them in the office. And I say, you're going to get in your car and go home for the trouble then. The question is, is I going to get out of the car? Or is Christ going to get out of the car? Yeah. If I gets out, nothing's going to change. Yeah. If Christ gets out, yeah. 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 True, true Christian counseling is going to focus you over here and begin to teach you who you are in Christ and begin to teach you the freedom that you have there. Because that was not harmed. It will not be harmed. If you don't get anything out of today, just carry this away. That any, you know... Um, past uh, damage you've experienced has been in your old man. 
and realize the answers, not in trying to repair that, but learning to live in the realm of the new. You know, Solomon said, you know, we can, we can explain how a branch got twisted, but we can't untwist it. And that's often what goes on, you know. We can explain at times how the old man became what he is, but we can't untwist him. We can't really fix him. I had to learn that in life. That this nature of mind can't be fixed. And so I've devoted my energy to becoming aware of who I am in Christ. And it, there's been a battle. Like he says here. But there is a deposit in the believer which in itself needs no addition as far as quality is concerned. So far as its victory, its power, its glory, its potentialities uh, are concerned, nothing can be added to it. You can't add to the victory that's been given to me in Christ. You can't add to the power that's been given to me in Christ. You can't add to the glory of this new life that's been given to me in Christ. You cannot improve on the uh, uh, potentialities of this life. What it has the potential to be. But, he says... The course of spiritual experience of spiritual life is to discover, to appropriate, to live by all the life represents and means. The Christian life is intended to be an ongoing journey of discovery. Discovering new things. New things that are true of you in Christ. And with each discovery, there should be a, 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 an appropriation, a, a realization of our desire for it. And this desire to live by all that this life I share with Christ represents and means. Okay, he says, now we have seen the third element involved in our appropriation. After we have seen our possessions in Christ and become aware of our need, then we must give Him the necessary time to work the appropriation into our everyday walk. Give Him the time to work. Again, we are His workmanship. If we are are ultimately conformed to the image of Christ, it will be because of God's work, not because of ours. And you know, it's, it's very easy for us to take, t- 
take everything almost and turn it into a work. We can, we can turn appropriation into a work. I'm going to appropriate it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to grab hold of it. It's me. You know, I'm where I'm at in the Christian life because I appropriated it. No, appropriation is not a work. Appropriation is an act of faith. It's believing God. I come to that point where the need in my life has brought me to to discover something that Scripture tells me is mine in Christ. And I believe God that I need it. I believe God that He's provided it. And my cry to God is that I want to experience it. But Lord, You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to bring it about. Why? Because it's Christ's life. I can't produce Christ's life. Only He can do that. And that's why He says, if we are looking for our needs to be met... In the next interview, the next devotional book, the next series of meetings, the next hope for revival, then reality will never come. Now he's not saying that there's anything wrong with reading devotional books. There's nothing wrong with with attending the uh, the fall Bible conference here or any other series of meetings. But what he's saying is, if we're thinking that in this next book we read, or this next meeting we go to, that suddenly we're going to find the magical answer, it ain't going to happen. And as long as we're looking for that, we aren't going to find it. We will not achieve reality that way. Reality is going to come slowly. It's going to come by need, by being aware of God's provision, and then by trusting Him to guide us through the conflict that it will take to make that an experiential reality in our life. I don't know that there's anything that I've really learned that has had a transforming impact in my life that hasn't come with conflict. I know of nothing that has come easily. But it has come. And all those conflicts are not behind me. There are things that God is still developing. There are still areas of conflict going on. And will be until I go into His presence. That's why, moving forward, He says, In this matter of Christian development, there is no shortcut. No quick and easy way. 
If somebody offers you a shortcut, it's snake oil. Huh? Yeah. There are no shortcuts. There's no quick, easy way to maturity. He says the husbandman, you know, the one who is cultivating us, growing us, God, the husbandman builds into the believer that which he intends to minister through him to others. That is an important statement. God is working in your and my life to build into us what He intends to use us to minister to others. If you want to have a ministry to others, you've got to be willing to go through some stuff. God develops us in that way and you know I think Joe and I can look back in our life and God's given us a rich and full ministry but you know it seems like each time what we've been involved in has helped prepare us for the next thing our years at FOA were used by the Lord really to prepare us for our time in Ireland And things he taught us. And I mean, he taught us a lot at FOA. A lot about the Christian life. Principles that he worked into our lives. And it was not painless for me. But he worked things into my life. That when we got to Ireland, those truths became very important to our ministry there. But while we were there, he taught us other things. And there were conflicts that he used to develop us to prepare us for our ministry at the school. I think one of the things in Ireland that he really began to impress on my heart is the power of his grace. And it was the power of His grace that impacted our ministry at the school. I didn't learn that easily. I didn't learn it painlessly. And to realize that God wants to use you and me in the lives of others, but if He's going to do that, He has to develop us. And that takes precedence. We think that the service is the, 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 the main thing. No, the development of the servant is the most important thing. The service will follow. To minister life to others, he says... What one does and says must flow from what he is. Again, an important statement. If you want to have an impact in the lives of others, 
It's not going to come primarily from what you do or what you say. It's going to become, it's going to flow from who you are. Rick, you remember when we were at the school, I asked students one night, they would bunch them around our house, and I said, guys, why do you listen to us? I mean, we're almost your grandparents' age. And you come over here, and you listen to us, and you want to hear what we say. And they, they named a few things, and one of them they said was, you're transparent, hmm. and you teach us the truth, and you love us. So, you know. Yeah. And it's not because Joe and I were perfect. <laughs> we don't have to be perfect for people to see something that's real. In fact, in Ireland, I think we shared this. I said one of the first ones we met with came to us and they said, you are the first Christians we've ever met who seem to enjoy the Christian life. Now, that's not tooting our horn, that is a sad commentary. That pretty much all they had experienced were Christians who were, woe is me, you know, I'm such a loser, you know, this negative view of the Christian life. Why do we enjoy the Christian life? Because it is the life of Christ. And it's not that we never struggle and we never fail and we don't have down days. But by and large, the Christian life is not a huge burden on our shoulders. Because it's the life of Christ. God wants to minister to others through you, but... He wants it to be out of who you are. Who you are in Christ. Then your words will carry impact. Your actions will be meaningful. If your actions are a fake, people will see it. You think you can fake it. People are a lot more perceptive than you realize. They'll see if it's real. And like I say, reality doesn't mean perfection. Yes, this is perfect. This new life is perfect. But I don't perfectly appropriate it. I'm still in the development process. And then he quotes a number of verses backing this up. It starts in Colossians 1.19 and goes through to 2 Corinthians 4.11. He says, For it pleased the Father that in Him, that is Christ Jesus, should all fullness dwell. And then, For we are made partakers of Christ. All fullness is found in Christ and we partake of Him. Why? That ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. For your life is hid with Christ in God. This new life is hidden with Christ. There in the very presence of God. That's why it can't be harmed. It can't be touched. 
He says that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. God's desire is that this new life be made manifest in this body we reside in right now. So that people will see Christ. He says, how often we simply admire and talk about the truths the Holy Spirit reveals to us in the Word. Whereas His primary purpose in giving them to us is that we might stand on them in faith, waiting confidently for Him to make them an integral part of our life. You know, he wants to make everything that we are in Christ an integral part of our daily experience. When people look at you, he wants them to see Christ. See the very character of Christ. His love, his compassion, his grace, his righteousness, his justice. In another chapter, Stanford makes the statement, others have a right to see Christ before making a decision about Him. And the only way they're going to see Him is in those who bear His image. He goes on here, he says, A prophet is one who has a history let me define prophet here. He's not necessarily talking about somebody who predicts the future. The word prophet has to do with, with being a forth teller. One who speaks forth for God. Um, in fact, you go back to the Old Testament and you look at uh, the prophets. Some of them uh, predicted the future. A whole lot of them just simply spoke out. <laughs> Uh, what God wanted his, Israel to hear. And a lot of it was his uh, displeasure with them. But a prophet is not someone who necessarily predicts the future. He's someone who God uses to speak forth his truth. And he says, a prophet is one who has a history. One who has been dealt with by God. One who has experienced Experience the formative work of the Spirit. So the one that God is using to speak for him has a history with God. And you know, uh, the one he uses to speak forth for him has been dealt with by him. You know, they've experienced the, the work of the Holy Spirit forming Christ within them. He says, we are sometimes asked by would-be preachers how many days should be spent in preparation of a sermon. The answer is at least 10 years and probably nearer 20. You know, when you're first starting out, you think, oh man, that's That's ridiculous. You're good at this point in my life and you look back and you think, yeah, that's a pretty true statement. 
because most of what the Lord lets me share now, it's taken 10 to 20 years to learn. 10 to 20 years for it to become real. Now, certainly, God lets people through spiritual gifts uh, at times proclaim his word earlier. But he wants more than that. He wants it to become real and not just be the right words. He says, For the preacher matters to God at least as much as the thing preached. God's as concerned about you as what you're proclaiming. And he says, God chooses as his prophets, his spokespersons, those in whom he has already worked what he intends to use as his message for today. He said, God uses, the ones he chooses to proclaim a certain message are the ones in which he's already worked that message and brought it to reality so that they can speak it with authority and with understanding. So, we made it to the end of the chapter just in time. We're out of time. Any questions? I've got maybe a minute or two. Yes? Well, he'll continue, and yeah, when we're in his presence, we'll all be conformed to the image of Christ. So, but he's saying here in time, if you're looking uh, for some magic answer in the next meeting or this, you aren't going to find it. There. Yeah, it might only be when you're in his presence. Because the only time we're, we're told, we're told what? In First John, First John chapter 3 verse 2, we, uh, we shall be like him when we look on him and see him as he is. You know, when Christ returns and we look on him, we will finally realize what it really means to be totally in Christ and we will be conformed. Not every believer is going to, uh, come as close to that conformity this side of eternity as others. Yeah, Jerry. Rick, I think what the statement is referring to is what is common in evangelical churches, that you go to those places and you get the quick fix. And that's not going to happen. Yeah. Rather than learning that it is in all these things we are more than conquerors. conquerors. Yeah. It's the quick fix mentality. Yeah. And with the quick fix, we're always looking for the quick fix. And we're never settling down and just getting into the Word, learning what it says, and trusting God to make it a, a, a reality. And, and we aren't really walking by faith. You know, uh, huh? Yeah. <laughs> 
we're not willing to take the time. We aren't walking by faith. We're looking for another answer. And as long as we're looking for another answer, we're going to miss out on the answer that he has. That we've got to settle down and look for in his word. Can, can I say something to that too? Um, for me, it was I was chasing that high. And then I would get that at those times. But then I would try to live off the fumes of that. And it just isn't sustaining. Because even my time at Lake Forest, I remember praying, Lord, I feel like I had a high point at Lake Forest in my growth with you. And I've just been living on the fumes ever since. Yeah. I don't think this is what you intended. No. Nope. But it's you know, partake every day. Because it was almost that feeling yeah. was what I wanted. I even elevated what I felt. Yeah. So, Years and years for the Lord to separate out. That's not the essence of the thing. I'm like I built you to respond to that, but that isn't the essence. Yeah. To let go of that, to where that He could go into those deeper places that aren't affected by all this. Yeah. As I do feel more than others in this room, but so, but it was easier to chase that, and so that yeah. just took years for yeah. Him to, Separate that feeling from who he is and what he is doing. Yeah. And yeah. tapping into what he says instead of what I'm experiencing. Yeah. No, that's good. A good example. One thing I thought of is when Jesus, when Jesus called Peter to walk on the water. And Peter was walking on the water. That's pretty amazing. Right? Mm-hmm, yeah. But he said, keep your eyes on me. Yeah. And when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. Yeah. But then... <laughs> yeah. But yeah. maybe that's the key though, is, is how emotional but keep your eyes on Jesus. Yeah. And a Christian life's not gonna all be a high. And it's realizing the Lord will teach you probably more about himself in the low times than he does in the high. Uh it'll be in the valleys that you 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 gain some of your greatest depth of understanding of him i had a year of uh, and i'm going to close on this but i had a year when i had pretty severe adrenal fatigue and i had pretty severe depression and god taught me so much about himself that year as he was with me every step of the way never once did he ever leave me And I think it was one of the years when he used me to have the greatest impact in the students' lives. They knew I was suffering and they knew what I was going through. But they saw God work. And it taught them a lot about God and His His capabilities. You know, that in our times of weakness, you see His strength. And... Uh, again, Lord taught me a lot in some of these difficult times. And so we we like the high times, but it's some of these really deep valleys that God really makes Himself real to us and shows us what it really means to be His child. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You for all that we are and have in Christ. Lord, we don't even begin to fathom what it means to be complete in Him. That all your fullness is in Him and that we are made full in Him. Lord, it's going to be a lifelong journey. I think it's going to involve eternity too. Coming to understand what it means to be in Christ. But Lord, we thank you that that is who we are. And Lord, may it be 
increasingly evident in our day-to-day experience. First, in his precious name we pray. Amen.